Yeah, how long have you been listening to the Cedar Skier podcast? I, I, I honestly didn't know what it was, and I Googled it. Hello, Ryan, this is Jesse Diggins. And I, I just thought it was really cool. He says, Petal, what do you think of my skate skiing now? So you need to have the right information. Put your phones down, kids. Oh, hi, is this the editorial department? Well, actually, not quite, Laz. He's got Clugnet back there. A real Hickory High School story there for Great Britain. I'm looking like I'm gonna get it. You probably don't get it. I come in your house with a microphone, looking like I'm about to set up a show in your kitchen. I'm out of my mind, but I feel like I'm in it. If I never make it, don't make it. No, and if Ryan, you're for sure not listening. But when I'm in the building, if, if you were, I got your email. Can you go to what Illy's? You better get back. I don't write any filler. I write what I feel, and I'm feeling a million. So you better. He's won 24 of the last 26 that he's been in. Give me the cop, no clue how to do this. And now up the uphill, he's got a hop and you go. Money on studio so they get all my music so people can play. can't see too much crowd of the Norwegian trying to find the slipstream of Clavo is Pellegrino, and he looks like he might if the Italian skis are working well. Mountains. Labo looks like he's taking care of everything though. Could anyone possibly buy him at this point? Thank you for buying. Maybe you burned it. But either way, I'm gonna wreck you. Look at the industry. Look what it did to me. You'll never. It seems unlikely. Pellegrino is going. Put your time. Get the best of years of my life, and I promise you, I've been giving it mine. Try to keep up with this. I'm not a puppet. No string him up. He's gonna try for it. No way to tame this. I am an artist. Look what I painted. Hang up the caution tape. I'm dangerous. Does anyone know what my brain is? Rappers are comfortable knowing they're famous, but I really don't care what your name is, and I really don't care if I'm nameless. Y'all just driving around. I know. Pellegrino! Pellegrino looks over at Clavo! Don't try to box me, and I am able to come in the ring. My punches are way better. I never drink, but I live in these. It's Pellegrino! You lost. Say you a king who put you in charge. Care what you think? I'm breaking your car. I'm on top of it, sound the alarm. And wake up the neighborhood, rap in your yard, and carry the. I will get back to you, and I agree. Put your phones down. Put your phones Put down, kids. My goodness. Well, by the beard of Jackrabbit Johansson, nicely done, Ajay, interim producer there on the intro. We appreciate it. And uh, welcome, all of you, to the Cedar Skier podcast and this vocal maintenance-induced, delayed uh, podcast, Tour to Ski wrap-up show. We were going to get on, on the uh, air and chat a little bit about the Tour to Ski wrapping up, but we uh, barely made it through the Tour to Ski because the voice was just dying. And, and if you're listening to Ski and Snowboard Live, maybe you tuned in for the um, women's event early and you noticed that my voice was like a couple octaves low. Still trying to get over this like chest cold thing. Um, it's it's one of those classic colds, like no no even like headaches or chills or any like feelings of illness, but you're just kind of coughing constantly. 
I did have some some bad drainage, you know, the nights of the tour ski. I wasn't sleeping a lot. And so, uh, yeah, that last day I woke up with just tons of excitement. And I don't know, I just felt like I couldn't even really express myself the way I wanted to. But hopefully you enjoyed the, sh- enjoyed the show, the broadcast. Uh, I really enjoyed the races. I thought they were great. And um, I think, you know, having it be a mass start, uh, well, are we just going to hop into it? Ajay's looking at me like you're not even following the show plan. I never follow the show plan. I, I just click record and we go. I know we're on Shovel Lake Public Radio. I know. Yeah, well, we have some. Let's, let's hop into it. Okay. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the mass start format. I know I haven't been following the Tour de Ski quite as long as um, maybe probably most of the people listening to this. You know, you guys know a lot more of the history about it and everything. I'm, I've always been fascinated, obviously, by the uphill climb. I'll get to that. But I think the mass start thing is a is a good change um, because it allowed, obviously, for the stage itself to have some prominence and the winners and the climbers are motivated and they get spot the spotlight on them. It's easier for the fans to follow and see what's happening. And then also... I think, um, you know, they, they punched up on the screen a few times, like, where athletes, where the overall Tour de Ski standings time was. And going back in my broadcast notes, I wasn't even expecting that information to be available. But I think on my live timing, I could have been bringing that up even more. Now, I just kind of could tell visually. I'm like, okay, Clabo on the men's side was letting, um, was letting, uh, what's the guy's name again? Uh, Kruger. <laughs> It was letting Kruger get away a little bit. And you're like, you could just see it. You're like, all right, this is a gap now. I, does does Clabo, is he aware? Like, all right, I, I pretty much visually can tell what about a minute looks like on an uphill, you know, cross-country skiing up a alpine slope, what that's going to sort of look like. Because, I mean, that would be hard for anyone. Or is he just dying? Like, maybe he recognizes that this is slipping away, but he, has no, he can't do anything about it. And um, that's definitely what, you know, you would have said there was the case on Frida Carlson's end. She didn't quite have the same type of challengers breathing down her neck. You know, with Claudel, Laukley, those two were gunning for the stage podium, and they weren't really in the overall at all. Heidi Vang had so much to make up. There was no real chance. So for Frida Carlson, it was really like, you know, she she just had to have an okay day to hold off to your Unis Vang. But you know, I, I think I think I could even do more if I if I get the opportunity to broadcast this event again, and it's in the same format. I think I will definitely bring up the fact, or, or I, w- I will bring up those live timing more and just make that exciting. But but I actually think that that is a little bit intriguing, almost in a way that is general generally going to be more exciting than the old way, which is yeah, we see the winner; he's going to get to the top of the climb first, and now we know he's the winner. Um, but man, I guess in the ones I've watched, that's really been like that exciting of a flip-flop. And even the, the data kind of shows it. it's like the winner has always either been in second or first coming to this last stage. There's only been a couple of times where that first place athlete lost it. Yeah. There's been some close races, but, um, yeah. So I, I like the new way. I do think obviously the tour de ski does need a little bit of a revamp. I think, um, having it be, um, all those race distances aren't super intriguing. So I, I'm, I kind of think the, the people that I've heard and read, the athletes, commentators, other podcast hosts who are like, Hey, this is sort of boring. I, I can understand that just because there's so much more that it could be. Now I thought the true to ski was very exciting this year. The stakes and storylines having Clabo be as dominant as he was. That is an exciting thing. 
Um, I, I totally disagree with the fact that that's not cool. I mean, I think you look at right now, Michaela Schiffer and what she's doing in Alpine ski racing, where like when you have someone who's extremely dominant and you have stars, it attracts people. They want to see that star. They want to either see that star do something amazing again or even more amazing, or they want to see someone take them down. And um, so Clabo is that. And on the girls' side, there was some shuffling in the places. Yeah, you do have a little bit of the intrigue of we're not really sure who is going to be um, standing on top of the podium today. So that is exciting, and it makes you feel, as an, as an American, with your team being as good as they are, like we have a shot. We always sort of have a shot every day that we might have someone um, be third, second, or first. So that's exciting. I thought, you know, from the the point standing, the overall standings, that's all a little more diverse, obviously, na- from a nationality standpoint. So that adds a cool intrigue. But yeah, I mean, I think I think there it's it's cool to follow the World Cup right now because of those things. And and I don't buy that the the, the men's side is boring at all. I think any the only time it's boring is when Clavo's not there. That's a boring World Cup. I don't care at all to tune in and watch the men race any distance without Clavo. No, that that is so dumb. That's that is literally like, I mean, there's there's hard, it's hard to find a good comparison, honestly, with Clavo. But I mean, that's like that's like saying in a year that Kipchoge is healthy, you know, and and he doesn't he's supposed to show up at Berlin, but he doesn't, and someone else wins. That's that doesn't even work actually either because injury is part of the sport there. So. I don't know. It's like if you take out the best athlete, you just might as well put an asterisk next to whoever wins that race. Because if you haven't beaten Clavo, you haven't beaten the best. And and I, and I just yeah, I don't. I will not be that excited when uh, when someone else wins a sprint event if, in the near future. If Clavo has to take a time off, I wasn't. It was not intrigued at all when he sat out in some of the races. So no, you gotta have your big guy there. You gotta have the stars there. For sure, it's it, stars building stars build sports. That's just a fact. Um, that's why people were intrigued by Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt, and especially in these um, fringe, more individual sports that aren't um, the the major team sports. You got to have stars. People want to follow stars. They want to see the stars do crazy stuff. They want to see the stars get beaten too. And that brings me to what is hands down the highlight moment for me anyway of the entire tour to ski. I'm going to play the audio. Let's run it. Here's what happened. Clavo went right to the back. This time, he's kind of going right to the front. Ben Ogden, actually in the lead for the United States here. He's got a little bit of gap on the field. And he might be adopting a pretty aggressive tactic here. In the front, he's just going to go for it. I like this. No tactical gamesmanship here we're just gonna take it and Ben Ogden in the lead right now forcing the issue on this entire World Cup every male competitor has always seeded the strategy to Clavo and always looked to him to dictate everything and Ben Ogden says "Uh uh-uh I'm just gonna do this Clavo's chasing he knows that this is for real Okay, and then you know what happened next. You know, uh, Ben did not make it to the finals, but that moment, I think, um, we will look back on in time, potentially, hopefully, as being a turning point because um, men's skiing is in need of this. If you if you tune into any race, you've noticed by now that my soliloquy there, I guess, or that's not the right word, but my my editorializing on the broadcast of 
look at everyone's always just looked to Clavo to see how the race is supposed to play out. And Ogden just throws that manual to the wind. And that's what he did. He um, he took a chance and he went for it. And Clavo was not expecting that. That threw him on his heels. And again, I think like, you know, maybe, there, maybe there's a part of even Ben Ogden of going, uh, you know, was that move made in a position of, gosh, let's just try something different because no one ever does this, which is fine. I, I'm actually okay with that approach. Was it done with a strategy of, oh gosh, I'm looking the, I'm in the front right now, uh, because this is what it looked like. It, it looked like that first hundred meters. He's like, how did I end up in the front? Well, you know what? If I'm out here anyway, I was, let's just go for it. Why would I slow down, and then you know wait for Clabo to go back and run? And then everyone will just go off of him. That's dumb. And and then he just went for it. Now the the one ca- problem with that, if it's not like intentional, there might be a little bit of like, as he's in front by twenty meters. He's sort of doing a little bit of mid-race calculations of, all right, how do I how do I finish this now? Like I'm in I'm in the lead by 20 meters, and and it is it is very much like robbing the bank here. And I would even disagree with whoever said it, Goldberg or Shirota or whatever whoever it was. You know, he, he, they described the race as he robbed the bank but forgot the money. I'd say no, he robbed the bank, has the money, but he forgot about the getaway plan. And, um, and so he ended up getting caught by the police because he, he was out in front. He executed that nicely, but then it, I think the reason he did not move on is I don't think he thought about that well enough and goes, okay, if I'm in the lead by this much, I, I really need to crush this, this, uh, undulating double pole section. That's actually where he kind of lost the race to some degree. I brought up that he slipped. I think that was critical, but, but if he had known I'm going to kind of shock everyone, go out in front hard and get this lead. He needed to keep hammering on that straightaway because he looked, he, he kind of looked back like, what's the damage that's been done? And I think I brought this up on the, I know I brought this up on the show, on the broadcast as well, where I said, he's going to have to keep, keep this up from here though. This is huge. This part you know, that he keeps separating and Haverson, Haverson had a strong double pull all through that sprint event, and he made up a little bit of ground, and so did Clabo, and Clabo was double-pulling hard and, he, and more efficiently, and and when Ogden turned around and looked at him and realized that he kind of went into this frantic double-pull, and, and again, I think it was too reactionary. I think if he had come into it thinking, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise him, it's going to be shock and awe, and then I need to like tighten the screws and put the hammer down, that part of the race was that flat double-pull, and he didn't really execute it well enough. Let's just be honest. So, uh, but but the reason I say it's a turning point is this whole paradigm shift of athletes not just giving up to Clavo and going, yeah, he's better than us. There's nothing we can do, um, or or like allowing him to do what he wants. Sometimes to slay the dragon, you really have to find find a weakness, and sometimes that takes some poking and prodding and um, taking some chances. And that's what that's what Ben did. So and again, like it might have just been that confidence factor. The rest of the World Cup, someone else is gonna go, oh, you mean. You mean we don't have to just fall into Clavo's plans on every single race? We could like do our own thing and maybe make it work. It's like, yes, yes, you can. Um, and <coughs> see, I don't know why this is happening. The closest thing I saw this happen was last year, I think, at the Ruka Sprint opener, which Clavo has traditionally not done amazing at that. But man, there was that the young Russian Terentev. Out Clabo Clabo, and I remember thinking like, wow, that that young Russian kid just did the running on skis better than Clabo did, and he 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 destroyed him on that final drag racing uphill. Maybe we have a new sprinter here. 
And um, that still kind of remains to be seen. Like, now I sort of think if that's going to be Trento's thing, if he ends up being able to come back and compete, you know, next year in the World Cup or whatever, I think Clavo's injury is going to hold him back. So we will never see someone dismantle Clavo in his own game at full strength because I I actually think deep down he might be a shell of himself in classic sprint, even though he can still win. I think he is doing it with like 91% um, pop on those up on those climbs. I don't know. I I don't I don't feel like we've seen him really go to the all out dynamic, you know, ness that he has to it. And I think he almost knows like, well, I don't need to do that to beat this field. Like, there's no one who can even stay with me anyway. So if the Russians were there, I think they would be some someone would be beating him in the sprints. It, it must just be killing them to not be mixing it up. Obviously, they would have changed the tour to ski as well. Um, but anyway, that was a big, that was a big moment. Um, jumping around a little bit here because of the tour to ski standings and, and I have some, some audio files I can play, but we just, uh, we just have clips from the women, the three women who did so well on that final climb. That's Rosie Brennan and, um, Jesse Diggins and Sophia Lockley getting that first world cup podium. We're going to hear from them here in a second. Uh, but first we got to go to a break. So we'll be back here. You're listening to the Cedar Scare podcast. From 10,000 feet to negative Fargo degree wind chills, Sport Hill has been making getting out the door the easiest part of my training in any season. Ever since I went on my first sub-zero long run in the pursuit tight a decade or so ago, I've been a big believer in Sport Hill. Since 1985, Sport Hill has prided itself in providing the highest quality performance clothing for athletes and adventurers around the world. They distinguish themselves from the competition by pairing innovative design with carefully chosen advanced fabrics. They work alongside the fabric industry to develop exclusive fabrics for use in their clothing. And only after extensive field testing is a fabric accepted into Sport Hill's product line and offered to their valued customers. 3SB is Sport Hill's signature four-way stretch knit fabric with a durable outside and soft brushed insulating interior. It is the world's warmest fabric by weight, dries faster than wool, polyester, and nylon, wicks moisture from the skin, and is so breathable, you can complete 75 training sessions in it without a wash and wear it to work the next day. No problem. Trust me. I've tried. If you're serious about enjoying the outdoors, no matter the conditions, check out sporthill.com. Be sure to order yourself a men's Super XC pan today. And as I always say, keep on striving. Keep on skiing. Brennan, Stage 7 Tour to Ski. Uh, you said yesterday that the, the, your favorite part about the whole stage here was the top. <laughs> but I know it was quite an adventure getting to the top. How'd it go? Yeah, honestly, it was one of the harder climbs I've done. It was really, I think because it's faster snow, it was really tight. So there was never a moment where I was like alone and could kind of get into my rhythm. It was always like, okay, stay with this person. Okay, this person's coming like, like very active that way. So it made it challenging, but I was really psyched to have Jesse there and Sophia. Like we skied a lot of it together, which was just really nice and, and comfortable. And um, eventually, I got a split that I was moving up in the overall, so I got kind of a second win there. And um, yeah, made it to the top, so it's all good. <laughs> you did make up one spot on the overall from fifth to fourth, right? Yeah, 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 which was big. I didn't know if I could do that, and that's 
Yeah, I seem to be the queen of fourth places now, which is maybe not what you want to be, but it could be worse, I guess. <laughs> Overall, you pleased with this tour? Yeah, I am. Uh, it's been like a hard start for me this year, so I feel like I'm finally starting to come around. So I think it's a good sign for the future. Yeah. And now back to uh, Tall Block for a little uh, rest and some skiing, and then what's up next? Uh, I think I'll be going to Lavinio, um, assuming I recover okay in the next couple days. And yeah, we'll light it up again in Lavinio. Hey, congrats, Rosie. Thank Great you. Job. Thanks. Country road in Texas isn't a symbol of much. Family without a father is murderous. Well, the dirt never stays put any longer to be touched as the tires kick the rocks and speak for all of us. Ajay just informed me that we found that track in the trash can, the trash bin of this computer, and so it neither belonged to us nor nor do we know where it came from. But there it was, brought us through the Rosie Brennan um, clip there. You heard Rosie Brennan after moving up from 5th to 4th on the Tour de Ski. Nice performance from Rosie Brennan, and hopefully we'll be seeing her here in Lavigno a couple weeks. The World Cup marches on. And just looking at, um, let's see, where's my... I know I opened up a couple of tabs with World Cup standings. Where did you go? Okay, we might have to go to break or something. I don't know. I see my tabs for our cars that we're trying to save up money to buy. All right, well, <clears throat> let's open them all up. Uh, cup standings for now. So what do we have after the last event, after the bonus points have been doled out? Tiro Unisvang, who had at one point here the overall, the distance, and the sprint. She's now second in the distance behind Frida Carlson by three points. So she's second, but she is first in the overall. Almost a 300-point lead over Frida Carlson. She's got 1,447 points in the overall. Frida, 1,160. Karatu Niskanen, 1,019. Jesse Diggins is in fourth, 1,004. So Diggins about 400 points off of the overall. Katarina Hennig of Germany is in fifth, 992. Rosie Brennan in sixth, 878. Lata Vang is seventh, 837. Nadine Feindrich. Oh, i got to go back and listen to those pronunciations again in practice. Feindrich, um, eighth, 825. Krista Parmakowski is in ninth, 792. And Heidi Vang is tenth, 768. So in the top 10, you've got Heidi Vang, you've got Lata Unis Vang, and you've got Tirta Unis Vang. All from one <laughs> one last name. Uh, that's pretty crazy, honestly, in the top 10. But but Norway's not dominating by any means, right? The U.S. has two, fourth and six. And Julia Kern is in 17th place. She's right up there. Catherine Stewart-Jones, top Canadian, 20th. We know i got some Canadian listeners out there. And uh, Sophia Laukley in 34th right now. <clears throat> um, and speaking of Sophia Lockley with her podium, let's hop down here and listen to the clip of Sophia talking about her final stage. Sophia Lockley, stage seven, tour to ski. Fifth last year, and you popped the podium today. Congratulations. Thank you. How did it feel? I know you, you said you had a little bit of a, a, a tumble, I want to say, at the start of the race. Yeah, well, I was, like, really working on the flat section to move up a bit because um, I didn't want to have to pass a bunch of people at the very bottom and waste a lot of energy and I did and then right before the real climb started I got tripped up and lost all the all the uh, positions I'd made so I was at the back of the pack again um, so I was like a little bit worried because um, I was pretty far back and I started to weave through a few people but I I was really 
I was worried. I had a lot of expectations, or like a lot of big goals for today, and I was worried with how it started. But I just like tried to stay calm and pick people, at, and it like was pretty gradual. Even like with 500 meters left, there were still a lot of people to pass, and I think just not going panic mode was really what saved me. And I just like lucked out and felt. Like, my tired was less tired than other people's tired, and so it was enough, yeah. You had some really good passes coming up uh, up the final climb. Uh, you snuck inside of a couple uh, athletes, and, and it, it almost looked like you demoralized them when you went around them. Yeah, no, it's, like, tactically very difficult to pass people, and so that's why it's, like, you don't want to have a bad position at the bottom. And I was trying to get a little creative, like, passing on, like, the awkward double pull sections and coming in with more momentum, and I had a lot of failed attempts that wasted energy, but it was, it, once you get stuck behind someone and then like, there's just the gaps in front of them get larger and larger, so you have to be pretty like aggressive and like trust that the energy you're using is gonna be worth it. And yeah, I had a couple little sneaky moves and I think it caught some, some athletes off guard, but yeah, obviously it worked out. I don't want to say there were some ups and downs with this tour, but uh, there were some highs and, yes. and maybe some not so highs. Yeah. But you stuck it out to the end, knowing that this was this was your forte here. Yeah. It, it has to just feel absolutely wonderful knowing that that you, you just kept digging, digging, digging. Yeah. No, it's really motivating, and honestly, like, it's really fun to end on this race. But this whole tour and last year's tour has made me motivated to maybe get better at other types of races as, as well. So I'm not just like waiting and waiting for this last race um but yeah overall i was happy with a lot of the results and today topped it off for sure. and your first world cup podium i know yeah i will savor that forever <laughs> congratulations Sylvia. thank you so kind of interesting there right to to hear that she actually fell i i couldn't see any of that on the broadcast didn't know about it i will say um going into this race i definitely expected there to be a duel between Claudel and Laukley. I thought that that would be something that, that, that would be kind of a, a storyline. And Claudel obviously was the story there. And I I was kind of surprised that Laukley wasn't there. And in the back of my mind, I was also sort of thinking, well, you know, I, I remember reading the comments Claudel made after the um, roller ski climb this summer, how she really felt hey, you know, I broke a pole in that race, and I think it cost me majorly, and she was only 13 seconds back from Luckley anyway, so I was like, well, maybe maybe it's a combination of Claudel, you know, being actually better by Luckley by a certain degree, and then also, you know, she maybe she's just having a way better day. Who knows, you know? Uh, hadn't occurred to me that that happened. So I guess a bold prediction here moving forward, I, I honestly think Luckley is going to be, it's going to be Lachlan Claudel, like in an, just an epic duel next year, because you have to imagine Lachlan's not going to make that mistake again, or, you know, more than likely she's going to be kind of positioned up there. And, and it would be interesting to see them duke it out, uh, sort of the rubber match. Now, Heidi Bang might still be in there. You never know, too, as far as like, you know, is the overall leader. If it's Jesse, she's going to be up there, too. Now, um, I, I predicted that Lachlan would be sort of a breakout star last year. Along with Novi McCabe, my sources were saying those two were ready. They might just be really young. You know, um, I think I read on Nordic Insights recently that Novi McCabe competing at U.S. Nationals. It sounds like she's got to focus more domestically right now. Like, she's going to just enjoy the collegiate racing scene and all that. Um, and I think, like, we should be all okay with that. We shouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, is this is this the equivalent of, like, 
sending down, you know, Justin Jefferson to Canadian Football League or I don't know, that was a terrible example, but <laughs> but your your high draft pick in the NBA down to the G League, you know, after the second year, I, I don't think that's the case here. And yeah, Novi's Novi's really young, and you only get college once, so. I actually think I, I have to kind of praise her for that decision to enjoy this um, aspect of her life that she really would never get back, you know, and and for what's the, like the alternative, like she, she to go on the World Cup and get some 40th place finishes, maybe if you're lucky in the top 30 and then on a climb, you know, she certainly could climb well and probably would have been a top 10 again, like she has in the past. But no, I think it's. I think it's probably good for her confidence and just good for her overall career to kind of play the long game. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I wish selfishly that I could see Novi McCabe up there, but I think in general the Novi McCabe, Sophia Laukley, uh, the University of Utah trio. If you throw in Cindy Pablo Legger, Legger is it Legger or Ledger? Someone someone let me know. Um, those three. The thing that is a little bit difficult now is knowing how how they would compare to one another, like. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think personally, and as I watched some of the U S nationals looked at, looked at, at results quite a bit, responded to a few emails from listeners too, as far as like, what does this place mean at U S nationals? The, the thing domestically, I think that's, that's really hard is you just never know to what degree the world cup athletes have in terms of a leg up, like ski speed related wise, Obviously, they're the best athletes. They're the better athletes. They should win, but it's really hard to know. Like, d- d- should they beat some other person who's like a twenty-year-old collegiate skier by like four minutes in a ten k? So- sometimes for me, that seems kind of crazy. Um, and and like a course, I think Houghton's course haven't been there before, but from for, for what I've heard, it's kind of one of those gradual courses, a lot of working elements to it. So like if you had skis that were average versus skis that are really, really fast on those working downhills, like having average skis there is just, it absolutely kills you, you know, because it's like every single push you're losing exponentially more ground. Uh, and yeah, the gradual uphills is nice. And if you're really fit, you can work your way back, but there's just no way. I don't know if I said on this podcast the other day, even I was skiing with my older brother, who, who admittedly is not a, not an amazing skier, and he was kind of mentioning how, or he, he was skiing, uh, we, we were together on the uphill, you know, and I wasn't even working all that hard. He was working harder than I was, and, and then on the downhill, we turned around, and it was, like, way different. Um, so, yeah, that that's something I kind of wrote in my notes even to bring up. It's like, what do we make of Nationals results I I think the placing is still fine, but it's hard to look at those times and know like how how accurate that is. That's just the nature of skiing, I guess. One last athlete to hear from. Here's Jesse Diggins talking after her tour to ski. Jesse, a tough climb out there, but you really dug deep out there and left it all on the trail. Yeah, um, I was really happy. I mean, my energy's been good, and I just kept believing and working through disappointments, but not giving up. So honestly. I, I might be more proud of how I handled this tour than any other one. And um, I just, yeah, I didn't stop believing that I could keep going and had a good final day. And I knew my energy's there. So now it's time to recover, keep training. But I'm not worried about where my body is. And that's a good feeling. So we're going to debrief and see what we can learn after this, of course. Um, but it was just nice to end feeling like I could get everything out of my body. and. 
I definitely did. So it was really fun to ski with Rosie out there. I think we were just <laughs> helping each other up that climb. That was awesome. And I'm so proud of Sophia. Oh my God, so happy. And then our boys just dug deep too. And it was so fun being out there on the hill cheering for them and scrambling up and yelling at them. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good way to end the tour. Congratulations, get some rest. And uh, what's your next race? Uh, well, not 100% sure. Okay. <laughs> but uh, next training camp will be with the team in Seyfeld. Cool. So for now, I'm just going to enjoy some days in Italy with my husband. Congrats. Thank well you. deserved. Thank you. So I've been kind of reading around, listening around, and I think I've I've heard and read that some people felt that Jessie wasn't as professional as she could have been and, and was maybe throwing some wax sticks under the bus, maybe with her comments after this, this tour. I don't feel that way um, at all, personally. And I think, quite honestly, if it was the opposite, if she was being really vague about, um, you know, in the tour, why why aren't you doing as well, blah, 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 we'd be coming at her, I think, like the opposite. Like, oh, this is frustrating. Is it the skis? Blah, blah, blah. At least I would. I'd, I'd want to know the truth. I think I think Diggins actually showed, honestly, her veteran experience here throughout this tour in handling the press and in just remaining confident because she was tactful in her way of saying that her skis weren't great and she had like pretty much the entire ski world on her back thinking oh is something wrong is she overtrained is she cooked is she sick blah 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 i've said blah 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 three times now in this segment that's inappropriate no more but my point is is you gotta you gotta hand it to her for just shouldering that well the pressure from the media knowing the entire time or at least trying to continue to convince yourself the entire time like i am fine physically i'm following the plan things are going to work out so uh yeah I, I give diggins tons of credit for handling that i also think that the way she was truthful and honest and also constructive here you know saying that we're going to go back and 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 try and improve and and look at you know basically go back to the drawing board right and watch the film and i think that's probably in reference more so to just ski testing and ski prep and all that stuff which she i guess is a part of as well right didn't she say on social media that you know one of the races she should have asked for more kick you know and didn't and you know she just has to say what she needs something along those lines so it's not like it's one person's fault and obviously the team was short-handed so you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm actually, honestly, I give I give the U.S. ski team a pretty good grade for this tour. When you look at, first of all, how many people finished, which is is a good good thing, right? They, they survived. They stuck it out. I think that's important. I'm against athletes dropping out of this, and I think it's kind of dumb and tacky when they do so, especially late. You know, if they're going to race six stages and drop up, like, well, we got the world championships to think about. It's like, come on. You know, so... Tons of credit to Wickham and uh, Chris Grover and all those guys like to to see it through to the end, to stick to the plan, to have that many athletes come through and finish. And it's not like we were limping. We had a great showing in the final stage on the women's side. The men as a whole did great. Ben Ogden, 13th. You know, you go right down the line. This was a good performance for the U.S. ski team. Here's the other thing. As someone who's followed a lot of sports, team sports, major sports, I just have kind of the spidey sense feeling that this is going to be better for Jesse Diggins come world championship time than had she won the tour to ski. I think let's, let's just imagine that scenario. Let's say Diggins crushes this tour to ski comes out on top. Okay. And now we're what? Like 30, 
four, 45 days out from the world championships or w- when she relents to peak, wouldn't everyone's kind of conversation be like, man, how is she going to keep that, you know, keep that alive here? How is she going to, how is she going to ride that wave? We all know in endurance sports, it's pretty hu- t- tough to be like super sharp, killing everyone for, you know, two, three months at a time. So it sounds like to me that Diggins, she knows within her training plan, she has kind of a mini sharpness, a mini peak within the tour, but also that the tour itself is sort of a fitness component to the training plan. And so from a results perspective, I I think like she if she, if she would have won, she'd be like, yep, okay, fine, that's okay too. Uh, because the whole point of this tour is to compete hard and keep gaining fitness, and we're gonna, you know, we're reaching our main goal of the World Championships in February. But, but I think she can also look at her placing here, go and go, hey, this is all right as well. Like this tour again is just part of the plan, and having that last climb turn out the way it did, where really that climb is exposing your fitness. It, you know, it's equalizing everyone on the skis, and it's like who's the fittest athlete out here? You know, look, she had a a great showing here, so I think that's all positive signs. And, and she can kind of just float underneath the pressure of, you know, chasing the overall win, which Tiro Lunas Fang is going to have to deal with now, and Frida Carlson as well, the distance globe. Like, Diggins is lurking right there, and she's relevant, but she doesn't. she's not going to have to, like, deal with that and even deal with the skepticism that I think would be warranted of, okay, great, you're sharp on January 8th, but what's that going to mean for the Skiathlon at World Championships or you know the yeah those events where where you want to really win so I, I actually think from like a <laughs> uh thematic biorhythms the way the universe is going to turn sports wise you know she's sitting well because it's it's hard to win the big tour to ski and then go to world championships and win that too i mean if you're better than everyone by a lot it's possible and i think we're gonna see clabo right there which kind of brings me to my next topic here way too early world championships predictions and I told Ajay to have a sounder ready for that. So, hold on. I'll, I'll get it quick. Oh, wow. That just popped up. Way too early World Championships predictions. Should I try it again? And now it's time for the way too early World Championship predictions with Ryan Cedarquist. Okay, so... Clabo going for glory. Now, unfortunately, he did not have the the incredible clean sweep of the entire tour to ski, which just would have been awesome. And I can't sit here and fault him for like, you know, just giving that up. It appears to me watching that race that he did he did what he he needed to do to win, but he wasn't like just gonna lay down. He, he couldn't really lay down because his main competitor was gonna win this uphill, Kruger, right? So, but but I don't know. I could I could have pictured a scenario. You know, let's say Klaba has a five minute lead. He's won all six stages. I could have totally pictured him, just uh, you know, jogging it in up the hill, and not going for the win. I think Klaba is the kind of competitor that if he would have had the chance to win all seven, he would have he would have done it. He just recognized right away, like okay, Kruger's crushing it. There's no way I'm going to beat him, but I, I I need to come away with this victory. That's the most important thing, and that's what he did. Uh, but he's having a legendary season. He has 11 World Cup wins this year. He's actually won 10 races. And I, I have to bring this up as a question. Like, I think the record for World Cup wins in a season is 17. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if the Tour de Ski, like, <clears throat> in all the articles, it says that that actually, you know, Klabo's won 11 of the 14 races he's competed in. Well, really, he's won 10. 
uh, races. Like, does the Tour de Ski overall also count as just a World Cup win? Maybe it does. Um, I wasn't aware, but <clears throat> I don't. I don't think it counts in his fist on his fist page. So let's look it up right now, because now you're curious as well. Wow. So I'm on the page. It actually does. Clabo's won 58 World Cup races, and the first or the most recent one is the Tour de Ski overall standing. So that counts as a win. Good for Johannes. Um, <clears throat> all right, so he's won 11. Now, I, that does make me also want to quick take a peek at um, the cross-country World Cup records. I'll just go to my handy-dandy trusty Fis. <laughs> uh, not Fis, Wikipedia. All right, overall records. Here we go. Victories in a single season. Sunbi had 14. Oh, my gosh. This is nuts. Wow. That's crazy. So the guy's record is 14. The girl's record is 20 by Yohag in 2020? How is that possible? So, okay, she she won. We had three different tours that counted. So, so she won 17 races plus three tours. <clears throat> but, I mean, I guess a tour counts as a win. I don't know. That seems a little bit. A little bit more chintzy, but it does bring me to Clabo looking ahead at his season. Could he accomplish, you know, the unfathomable, which I think is this is his chance, and he needs to capitalize on it, and that is you win the Tour de Ski, you win the overall globe. He's right back in there. You win win the Sprint Globe, and he has to somehow pull out the Distance Globe. This can be tricky because I think isn't Holman Colon like a freestyle this year? So that's that's not good, but... You know, if that was a classic, he could definitely get another distance win there. I think that that's going to be the hard thing is is crawling back there. But if, if you could see him, you know, have a season where he does all that, the Russians aren't here, this is your one chance. It's not going to happen again to do the Triple Crown. And, um, you know, he had the chance to do – wasn't it last year I think he had the chance to to sweep everything? Um, I might be I might be misspeaking mis, mis, mis there. Uh, looking at the world championships, guys, we have first event for the men. Could, could, could Klaba win five golds? It's it's a toss-up. I mean, the first event for the men is a 10K individual start free. I think the favorite there is Kruger, but it, it's only 10K. Um, Klaba could definitely win that. So let's say he wins gold there. Then on the 24th is the Spring Classic. Sorry, 23rd Spring Classic. He's going to win that. So he gets two golds. Then we've got the on the 24th, a skiathlon, 30K. He's not going to win that, okay? He's going to he's gonna lose that. Kruger probably wins that or someone else wins that. Um, 15K skiathlon, classic free for the women. I think Jesse Diggins is going to win this. I think this is, the, this is the year she finally pulls it out. So it's going to go Diggins, Parmakowski. Finns are going to have great skis for, like, no reason whatsoever. Parmakowski, third place. Oh, man, tough. I don't know. Okay, then the 26th, team sprint. Klobuk wins that, so that's his third gold. Okay, he's got three gold so far. Now, I'm confused on this. The March 1st, the next men's event, is a 15K individual start free. That is what it says here on the World Championships page. Am I missing something? Like, they actually have... Oh, sorry. Hold on. This is interesting. What am I missing here? On the 22nd, individual star. Oh, it's a FIS race. So there's there's a FIS event, not a world championship. Okay, 
backing up then, so that doesn't count. So the 15k individual start free. Well, same thing as a 10k, okay? It's not that different, so same same likelihood. Clavo could win that. Now, it does come after the team sprint, but they get a break. He's got like five days off. I think he definitely could pull that one off. He's got a relay here, 4 by 10 k They should win that. And then it says here 50k Mass Start Classic. Is that right? I thought the, the, the Mass Start Classic was in 2021. They had a freestyle, though, at the Olympics. So does that count as an alternate year? Someone who knows more about that, just send me an email. Let me know. Because if it's a 50K Classic, I mean, Clavo has got a great shot at winning that, you know? Um, speaking of people who win 50K Classic World Championships and are legendary because of it, how about Petter Nortug? Did you guys see... I'm going back to my notes here, trying to stay on track with the Cedar Skier show. Did you guys see the videos of Nortug and Colonia doing the um, citizens race up that final climb. That was pretty interesting. Um, Colonia looks like he could just hop back in the World Cup. He looks fit. He looked great. He skied well. I think he won. Um, and and I saw some story where it's like Nortug third, Colonia won, and then it like didn't name the person who got second. It just said like someone else got second. It was like, what? That poor guy, he's chasing down Dario Colonia. Like, what if he had beaten Colonia? Then then he deserved his moment in the limelight. Um, this inspired me to go back and watch some Petter Nordzeg highlights and watch him skate ski and classic ski and all that, all the, all the epic finishes. Now, the, the thing that I noticed, there were several things I noticed and thought about as I was doing this. The first thing is, it is pretty cool how Nordzeg brought this electricity you know, and just, like, man, he was B.A. in some of the finish line scenes, you know, like, the just the trash talker, the, he was iconic, you know, and um, some people have said, like, Clabo doesn't really have that same thing, well, of course he does, but that's, that is okay, like, we do not need, it's, it's, it's a good thing to be classy, like, you don't have to be a prima donna, and Nortek was just, it was a prima donna, now, I will say, it would be so awesome if Nortek was on the World Cup now, because he he would lose most of the time to Clavo, and like Clavo would just be that golden child, you know, like the face of the sport, classy all the time. And every once in a while, if Norta got in there and did like and did win a, a race, you know, like he would let Clavo know about it. He'd he'd be saying I'm the best. Try to think of the athlete that he reminds. He's, he's kind of like Terrell Owens almost. Like Owens was around a little overlapped a little bit with Jerry Rice, you know. Jerry Rice is kind of like, well, you'd have to like blend, you'd have to take Jerry Rice's dependability and raw numbers with Randy Moss's just incredible, ridiculous athleticism and combine them together. That's Clabo. And then Terrell Owens is sort of like, you know, uh, Nortug. But anyway, so it was cool to see, yeah, this, I can see why cross-country skiing would have been exciting to follow back then. I was not into it. Sorry, I was, you know, running track. I was playing basketball at the time that Nortug was really his prime. <clears throat> the other thing I thought of was, you know, just how different even in five, six years um, skiers are and how they look. I mean, especially skate technique. I think that's where it's the biggest thing. Nortug in a double pull finish, um, I actually, I, I would probably give him the edge over Glabo in just a straight double pull finish. And and I, I got to think he might have the edge over just about anyone. But skate skiing if you watch like like uh nortug skate ski first let's say kruger or clavo his like knee bend and dynamic nature in the lower body especially is way less i mean 
it's it's really a thing of beauty to watch the best World Cup skate skiers, and, and especially like when they're V2ing on the flats and you really can see just how much balance, timing, and explosiveness they have in their lower body. And it all comes together, and, and it's like, you know it's great because or when from the side angle it looks like they're just you know straight double pulling and and all that's happening with their skate skis is they're just pointed down the track and they're just trading spots you know he's 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 making his force impulse straight down over the ski and and um you know there's that there's basically kind of that swap of the ski where the where the one that's gliding straight ahead just trades spots with the other one, and and you see that action a little bit with Nordzeg, but there's just way less dynamicness from the lower body. Nordzeg did a lot more with his upper body when he was when he was going. So a little technique thing that I just kind of saw, and I was thinking like, if you saw Nordzeg on the World Cup today, skate skate, you would be like, oh man, he just doesn't even come close to the same skate technique that these other guys do. Um, so I I don't know if do other people think that like. And the other thing is, is, you know, guys who are kind of technique nerds, Devin Kershaw, let, let's throw him out there, right? Because he's, he's picked apart Ben Ogden and, and said, you know, this guy doesn't have technique. And, and Kershaw, I think, back it up. Like, he knows, he understands ski technique well. And I, I can't, like, in my mind, image Devin Kershaw skate skiing. So it's hard for me to go, like, well, was he doing all these things? But what I'm curious about is, does Kershaw look at a video of Klabo or Kruger skating, and then look at a video of Nortug and go, wow, skiing's changed a lot. <clears throat> you know, I wonder if he would think that. And then also, if he goes out for a ski right now, knowing what the new skating is, does he, like, emulate that? Or does he still skate like they did in 2007? Um, because if you look at, like, generationally, much larger, you know, um, if you've watched a great classic skier from, like, the 70s who's still in great shape and they still classic ski – they still have a, have like remnants of that more older, uh, elongated classic stride than someone who's like thirty year old, thirty five, and was on the World Cup three years ago. You know, it's just it's different, and they still ski fast and beautifully, but it's not quite the same. You know, like how, do people continue to develop this technique? That was something I thought about watching the old uh, Nortug, Nortug highlights. Kind of impressive that he's like in that good of shape too. That would not have been the event I would have pegged him in as like, you know, for all of us, the equivalent of like going to our go back for the homecoming 5K or the road race, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll just go back and race the most brutal non ski like ski race that there is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the end of the tour to ski. But I guess kudos to him, you know, kudos to Nortug. All right, I've got a list of a ton of topics, but we're coming in to the end of our show, and um, I think it's time. I think we need to publish this. We'll get back behind the mic, you know, a couple days here, preview the upcoming World Cups. Um, just a little FYI, Grip Wax Nation, people out there who follow this show. I'm saying that in hushed tones because I know if I say that too loud, my wife, who's eating lunch right now in the background, will laugh at me and think that, you know, it's funny that, that I actually think I'm speaking to a large audience. We know it's intimate, okay? That's the whole point of the show. That's that's the selling point. Anyway, um, we are expecting our second daughter here in the next couple of days, so I don't know if she's going to be up for a live um, broadcast from the hospital. I think she's she agreed to that at some point, but I'm not sure if we're going to be able to hold her to that. So if we don't do that, it might be a little while. But we are trying to move towards maybe just posting on Mondays every week. In fact, that was one of my goals uh, that I wrote down for the year. Um, 
I we enjoy making a list of goals for the year. I don't know if I'd call them resolutions. I think it's more goals. You know, I think you come forward with a goal. Um, resolution, if, if you really need to fix something right, you should fix it right now. But goals are meant to have these time-bound markers that you, you, you set. And I think, you know, the new year is a great time for that. So one of the goals was, can I, can I post a show weekly on the same day? Maybe this will draw people. They will know, oh, it's Monday. The best part of Monday is we know we're going to get to hear these great World Cup ski takes, you know, and other random stuff too. So that's one goal. Now, I will say for the first time in the four or five years that I've been doing this with Christy, well, maybe we've maybe been doing this for the whole time. It might be like six or seven. We've found some old goal, goal sheets. They're kind of funny to go through. But uh, Novi got a hold of my sheet and just ripped it in half. And I just feel like, well, maybe this is what this year is going to be about. You know, like everything is just coming apart at the seams. All of my goals, all my hopes and dreams. Hopefully not. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll post this. It'll be Monday and and we'll post the next show on Monday, too. Now, if not, I, I guess I didn't really promise anything. But the last point I want to make here, and I know we've stuck kind of to, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the World Cup on the guys' side, so I apologize if you if you want more um, ladies chat, you know, like, by all means, send me some emails. If you got some hot takes, I'd love to interact with them. So if you've got some thoughts about upcoming races, the past races, whatever it is, send us an email at cedarsgear at gmail.com, and we'll reply. We'll, we'll bring it on the air. We can talk about it. It'll be great. It'll be fun. By the way, Ajay, no one is interacting with our polls that are connected to a lot of the shows we've had posted. So curious, are we going to have some interaction? Get on it, people. Maybe they don't make it to this far in the show. Last take I want to bring up, though, with the Norwegian team. Are they really that well positioned for dominance for the long haul? Here are the ages of the top 10 people right now in the World Cup standings. Obviously, Klabo, he's overall number one. He's 26. He's not, like, super young, but he's in his prime. Paul Goldberg's number two. He's 32 years old. Pellegrino, he's 32 too. He's also not Norwegian, but he's number three in the overall. Holland is 33. That's number four. Kruger's 29. We have Haverson. He's 33. He's a Swede. Okay, he's next. Tonseth, 31. Tonseth. So, like, most of these athletes are in their early 30s. Not to say they can't be great here. Like, there's definitely a possibility that the Krugers and the Holands... The Paul Goldbergs, like they, they're they're at an elite level for the next three years, and then there's a new wave of of Norwegians, 24, 25, that just take the mantle and continue going forward. Um, but let's kind of let's say that that doesn't happen. I think there's a possibility that there could be a window here for the American men to to hop in through, and that is as these Norwegians who are experienced veterans. You know, kind of the, in the gold medalist, they're, they're living off of some of that credential too. Like there's a little bit of they've earned their spot based on their past merits. So they get a couple extra, a couple extra starts, you know, just from that, you know, they get the benefit of the doubt. Now that's going to keep some young Norwegian who might be better, more talented from getting experience. And eventually they're going to get experience. But if they're coming onto the World Cup scene at 23, 24, 25, and now it's their you know, first World Cup season or even first World Cup races, and we've got guys like the same age, the Ben Ogdens now, Gus, Gus Schumacher. I mean, give them three, four more years, right? Now they've got 100 World Cup starts. 
theoretically, if we if if there is an advantage the Americans would have here, it might be experience. So I think it is paramount, you know, that that they take advantage of that, that they stay positive, looking at that that advantage that they do have. And so that when they're hitting their physical peak, their physical prime, they can just they they already have the experience part taken care of. Now the one thing, the caveat says there's a lot, but I mean, first of all, the Norwegian talent and the depth is it's well known, and because of that, even their local national races, they're getting essentially a World Cup competitive like environment to some degree. So maybe it really doesn't matter when they make the step up to the World Cup. There's no difference in like race tactics and all that. There's a little bit of extra pressure, but whatever. They're prepared. That that could be. So maybe my theory is totally it totally is irrelevant, and they can just plug someone in once Kruger's done. Just go to the next man up, and he'll be just as good. Um, that's very possible. Okay. Uh, but but it was just it was something I'm looking at. It's like man, these guys are getting kind of old. Like, is there going to be this turnover period where all of a sudden we're looking at Norway is is trying to figure out what their identity is? And I think some people thought it that that would happen on the girls' side for Norway. And look at how interesting this is. Like, they've got some veterans who are in their 30s. Cavo having a great year. Um, Ostberg making a comeback. Heidi Vang is doing well. She's not like, you know, 2016, 2017 version Heidi Vang, but she's still good. And then obviously Lotta and Tyrrell are just doing amazing. So, you know, who could have called that, right? Uh, but I think it's just kind of... Uh, it adds a little bit of an interesting dynamic to it, and I think if you're a fan of the of the guy's side, you know, you've got some things to look forward to. Speaking of looking forward to, finally, we got some fast snow here in Leadville, and um, that means we got to get out and, and hammer some more caves. So we're going to leave you with that here on the Cedar Skier Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show. As always, keep on striving. Keep on skiing.